Our Holy Father in heaven, we thank you for this privilege that we have to come and study about Joseph and the many lessons that we learn from that. Father, we're thankful for the church here and the members. We pray that we would grow together strong. We ask you to be with the travelers and the ones that were mentioned that are sick. Lord, we thank you for the children. We love them. And they're all so bright and smiley, and they make us so happy. Go with us now, Father, as we study, and forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are in Joseph, the 11th son of the patriarch Jacob, also known as Israel, as we will see today. Uh... Once again, I want to give uh, credit where credit is due. About six, seven months ago, I was doing a lesson on Joseph and stumbled upon a commentary or a study that I thought that would be pretty good someday. So I uh, set it aside and saved it. It's called Keep Believing Ministry. I have used it as my inspiration, uh, thrown some things out, put some things in, tweaked it like, you know, like we always do. Uh, but Keep Believing Ministry, I want to give them due credit for uh, helping me out on this. Joseph, and we mentioned last week, I will do a quick review here, a very important person in Old Testament history. In fact, we mentioned that he gets more ink than Father Abraham does. From chapter 37 to chapter 50, he is the featured character, minus the one chapter for uh, Judah and Tamar, which is, I believe, chapter 38. But Joseph is a very important story. We mentioned... Uh, Possibly we'll get more why in a while as we go through the study. But just off the top of our heads, this story of Joseph lets us know why the book of Exodus is written. How they get the people of Israel out of Egypt after 430-some years. This explains how they got to Egypt, the story of Joseph. A wild roller coaster ride we're going to take with Joseph over the next few months. Uh, the young man lived one incredible life. We mentioned he went from the uh, the pasture to the pit to the prison and then eventually ending up in the palace. And along the way, he saves his people. He pers pers or, uh, preserves the sea line of the Messiah. And through all this, hopefully when we're all done, the big take-home point we want to have after the, we come to May or so when this is all wrapped up, we're going to see God's providential care over Joseph. And along the same lines, hopefully we'll see God's providential care over us in our lives. Okay, so That's where we're going. But first, let's go ahead and uh, I mentioned we're also going to be asking a question. Every lesson we're going to have, which will be nine more after today, or with today, we're going to ask a question that goes along with that particular lesson. So today's question I want to start first in Proverbs chapter 16. Don't, go, don't turn over there or anything. I'm just going to briefly read it. Proverbs 16 and 4. Can you quote that, brother neighbor? <laughs> Coincidentally, it has them off. We're going to Proverbs chapter 16, which says, The Lord works out everything 
to its proper end. The Lord works out everything to its proper end. Now, what does that say about God, do you think, Curtis? He's in control, and he's... Quite often people think or have the theory that God created the world, set it in motion, and then said, see you all later. That is not the case whatsoever. God is working in the world. God is working in people's lives. Okay, so God works, every, works out everything to its proper end. So with that in mind, today's question. I thought we'd start with the real easy ones first. Why were you born? Hmm. They get a little easier as we go along. Why were you born? Well, let's maybe bring Joseph into this. When this story begins in chapter 37 of Genesis, Joseph is a 17-year-old, I would assume relatively carefree uh, for that time, teenager working in the family business of shepherding. Joseph, why were you born? What's God's purpose for you? What do you think Joseph might have said at the age of 17? I'm probably going to be a shepherd, like I am now, like my father Jacob is, like my grandfather Isaac, and my great-grandfather Abraham. I'm probably going to be a shepherd. That's my purpose in life. That's why I was born. But we got to, we mentioned last week, view this story from Joseph's eyes, Joseph's perspective. We know how it ends. You're in the pit right now, Joseph. Don't worry about it. You're going to be okay. You're in the prison right now, Joseph. Don't worry about it. You're going to be okay. He doesn't know that. When he's in the pit and his brothers have totally betrayed him, he has no idea how it's going to end. We've got to remember as we go through this story to view this story, try to view it, it's kind of hard to do from our perspective, how Joseph would have viewed it. Okay? At the age of 17, as a young shepherd boy in Canaan, Joseph has no idea of the wild ride he's got in store for him. No idea. So, why were you born? Think about that for a while. Why were we born? What was the purpose? Do you know what that is when you were 17? Okay. Do this story from Joseph's eyes. Sure okay. I'm glad we, well, let me make this analogy first, then we're going to go around the class. We got a good variety here of ages. Starting with you folks over here. Okay. But let's make this analogy of why you were born. I don't know. Okay. I heard this analogy. How God brings his will, brings his purpose 
into our life. It's much more like a sunrise than a sunburst. Okay? How does a sunrise happen? Boom! It's No. Ever so slowly, it starts to slowly illuminate. I think that's what, how we have to view God's will for us, God's purpose for us. He slowly illuminates our purpose in life. Now, there are a few people who, boom, it's there, but the vast majority of us were more like the sunrise. God slowly illuminates what he has in store for us. Okay? Let's once again revert that back to Joseph. Talk about Joseph. At 17 years old, a shepherd in Canaan. At 17. Close. Awesome. Close. He's there right now. He's getting real close, okay? At 17. You're going to take my example away, aren't you? <laughs> okay. All right, we'll pick on somebody else. <laughs> no, you're coming up. But at 17, at 17, what were you thinking? God's great purpose for me is what? You were, oh, he's one of the rare ones. Brother Crawford was also one of the other rare ones. At 12 years old, he knew what he was going to do. Very few people. Okay, okay. Okay, but you had an idea at least, okay. All right, Dad, at 17, what were you thinking? You want to be picked on? Can you answer that question a little bit more better today than you were when you were 27? Why were you why you were born? What's God's purpose for you? I'm sure Billy can too, so it's surely as well. The point being this. I think the sunrise analogy is very apropos. God slowly I'm green. How's that, Leonard? A little better? Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I must have bumped it. The point being, God reveals his will for us, I think, slowly throughout our lives. And this, it's quite possible, even by the time we get to 70, 80 years old, we still may not really know. And there may be multiple purposes why I was born. Okay. We belabor that point enough. Let's talk about Joseph. The story opens in chapter 37 of Genesis. 17-year-old shepherd. And in one chapter... Joseph is going to go from a carefree shepherd boy in Canaan to a slave in Egypt in one chapter. A wild roller coaster ride this young man lives on. Okay? So let's maybe first discuss some family dynamics. 
His father is Jacob, uh, the great third patriarch, also known as Israel. Four wives. Surely he's blaming it on the time change. Bump test is working again. Put them on, Jim. We're going we're to make this work no matter what. How's that sound? Okay. Bingo. All right, Randy, you got a bingo coming your way here in a minute. All right. Chapter 37. We'll start in verse 1. Joseph, the young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. Those are two wives. The other two are the more uh, ones we have more familiarity with, Rachel and Leah. Okay, so there's the four wives right there. And he brought their fathers a bad report about them. Okay, what might we term that today? Joseph is a tattler, tattling on his older brothers. Now, do you do you like to be tattled on? <laughs> Nobody likes to be tattled on. Okay, but Joseph is bringing. Tattling, he's ratting out his brothers. Okay, so mark that down as well, something uh, not do good. Okay, now Israel, that would be Jacob. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Another lesson for us. That is not good also for family dynamics. For a parent to set aside someone, one of the other children, as special. Okay, how special was he? Uh, because he had been born to him in his old days, and he made an ornate robe for him. Uh, we usually call that the robe of many colors. Okay. So Joseph has been set aside by his father. Now Joseph, the family dynamics, and that's where it's going to go south here, Joseph and Jacob are not totally blameless in this. Okay. Jacob has set Joseph aside. Joseph is a, somewhat of a tattler. And we'll see a few more other things that Joseph does not do well also. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. He can have two dreams, and he could not keep them to himself. Guess what, brothers? I'm going to be greater than you are. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Listen to the dream. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, 
when suddenly my sea froze, stood upright, while your sieves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. In other words, he's saying, you older brothers are going to bow down to me, the younger. Back then, that did not happen. That was not good. Okay, but he did not keep that dream to himself. He had another dream. Verse 9. Then he had another dream, and he told it to, told it to his brothers. Listen. I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. Essentially a different dream, but same uh, outcome. The brothers will bow down to Joseph. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Yes, they will. <laughs> But Joseph did not keep those dreams to himself, and it caused further animosity in the family. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So we can all see the family dynamics here are not good. Severe hatred and jealousy for the young, one of the young, very younger brothers, okay, who is fostering that jealousy and hatred, and the father who is setting him up on a special platform, and his brothers don't like that. We can just see the, the, there's the, these are not good family dynamics. The vibes are not good here. Okay? So what happens? Verse 12, I believe. That's what happens here. Jacob's going to send Joseph on a seemingly uh, innocent errand. Go check on your brothers. They're out in the fields. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he said. Uh, so he said, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. Okay, so Joseph goes very innocently. Go check on your brothers. And it's amazing. How that little request changed Joseph's life absolutely upside down. And also how, if you think about it, how it changed world history. Go check on your brothers. And what that meant in the long term. He goes and checks on them. And the latter part of verse uh, 17. He's coming up on them in a place called Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. When they saw him at a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. The bad vibes in the family are now coming home to roost. Here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. Verse 19, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. And throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Reuben, being the oldest, uh, speaks up. Feels a little responsibility here. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness. Don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So you guys throw him in the cistern, and I'll come back later and bring him back to Jacob. 
So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate one he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty and there was no water in it. And look with how callous these people are. As they sat down to have their meal, time to have lunch. What can they probably hear? Their little brother in the cistern screaming and yelling and pleading with them. And they went ahead and had their lunch. And it gets even more callous as we go along here. They sat down to eat their meal. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, now Judah has a little bit of a, a conscious thing here, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. Our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So they sell him to the Ishmaelites who take him to Egypt and they sell him into slavery. Now, I don't know how long it took. I'm sure there was the same day. Go check on your brothers. Here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. And how long it took the Ishmaelites to carry Joseph to Egypt? Maybe a day or two. Who knows? But literally within two, three, four days, this young man has gone from a carefree teenager working in the family business at 17 in Canaan to a slave in Egypt. Buckle up. The ride gets pretty wild. They compound their callousness further. Verse 31. Then they got Joseph's robe, the ornate one, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, Joseph was taken to Egypt and sold into slavery and ended up in a guy's house named Potiphar, which we'll discuss next week. Wouldn't you like to have brothers like this? Now, now, Joseph and Jacob, like I said, are not totally blameless in the family dynamics, but these brothers have taken it to an absolute extreme. The callousness and the betrayal that they showed toward Joseph and Jacob. Look what we found. Joseph, this must be his robe. And, of course, Jacob put two and two together. Some wild animal has devoured Joseph, my dear son. And for probably 22 years, they kept that lie going, knowing full well how it was going to affect their father. That's hard to fathom how callous these brothers were. Okay? That's our story. So where's God in all this? 
This is one of the more sordid chapters in Bible history. Where is Jehovah God right now? Hmm. Where is he? He's with Joseph? Okay. No, I agree. No, I agree. Where is God right now? He is with Joseph doing what? Proverbs 16 and 4. Working out his will. Working out things to perfect him. Now, right now, we cannot see that. Well, Joseph cannot see it. We can see it because we got the Bible here. But from Joseph's eyes, once again, remember, God is with him. But Joseph, right now, is extremely challenged tonight. He has no idea what, why this has happened to him. Other than he just, I'm sure he's absolutely distraught. My brothers have sold me into slavery in Egypt. Just two or three days ago, I was back home, minding my own business, maybe being a little obnoxious, but anyway, minding my own business and enjoying my family. So where's God? He is there. The sun has barely started to rise, carrying out his will for Joseph and not just Joseph, but for his family and for the whole Israelite nation, and eventually for us, folks. Yes. Okay. Humbling time? Okay. Good point. Surely makes a good point. God is also helping Joseph out. He needs to be humbled. This is a very humbling experience. (laughs) But God is there. God is carrying out his will. God is carrying out his way. God is fulfilling his purpose in Joseph's life that will affect entire world history. Joseph has no earthly idea of why this is happening. He's very distraught. He's very humbled. Does this have any relation to us? Jim says, yeah. You keep saying, yeah, Jim. Okay, go with it. Why, how does this relate to us? Do we sometimes have no idea of why God is doing certain things? But we have to trust him. And sometimes that's awful hard. Now this, I I forgot, thank you. Quite often we are the same way, the same boat as Joseph in. Now he's in a very severe one here, don't get me wrong. Not many of us have been sold by our brothers into slavery, I don't think, but. The same principle applies. Sometimes we can be in a situation where, why is this happening to me? And all we can do is literally trust God day to day. So back to our question. Why were you born? What's God's purpose for you? Let's say, once again, let's maybe bring Joseph back into this. Joseph, I got 
That's an inside scoop for you. I know why you were born. You were born to save your family. God's great purpose for you, to save your family, preserve the seed line, then bring the Messiah into the world. I'm sitting in a pit, and now I'm sitting in a slave in Egypt. What might have Joseph said then? What do you think Joseph would have said to that revelation? You're absolutely bonkers. There is no way I am meant to save my family and bring the Messiah into the world by preserving that seed line. At that time, he could not see that. And justifiably so, because the sun had just barely begun to rise in his life. God had not illuminated his will yet, even remotely. But it started. For now, and probably for the next three, four, five lessons, while Joseph's on this wild ride, he can literally only trust God day to day. Maybe even hour to hour. Trust God day to day, and God's going to open some doors for him. And he's got to go through those doors so God can work out his, his will for him. Trust God and go through the doors that he opens for you. More than likely, the majority of us in this room, to answer that question why we were born, are not going to have grandiose uh, outcomes like Joseph. We're probably not going to be Joseph. We're probably not going to be Moses. We're probably not going to be Esther to have really, whoa, eye-opening plans for us. We might. Most of us probably will not fall into the Moses, Joseph, Esther, Paul category. But the plan God has for us is just as important in his great scheme of things. And just like them, just like Joseph, just like Esther, just like Moses, especially Joseph right now, what we can do, trust God one day at a time. And number two, he opens the door, go through. God's leading us. Trust him and follow his lead. When he opens the door for you, go through it. And then we'll be fulfilling his purpose. Can we not do that? God opens the door for you, and what can you possibly do? Is God going to push you through that door? No. But you can buck God's will, sure, at your own peril. God's leading us to something better. He's got a plan for all of us. Trust him and go through the doors that he opens for us. Just like Joseph is going to do over the next few weeks. But right now, he cannot see that. No how, no way. Questions, comments? Okay. Say that one more time. 
Truly says, Jim, that we need to learn to dance in the rain. <laughs> you know, what you're saying is going back to the wisest man. Fear God and obey His commandments. That's our duty. Okay. Fear Him, trust Him. Um, and sometimes that's when we're stuck in the foggy valley. We have to trust the guy who's got the clear mountaintop view. Because it's sure not us in the Foggy Valley. We cannot see remotely what God has got in mind for us quite often, especially at a younger age. Is that? Okay. okay. I just always think about Joseph and his, uh, his dreams. Okay. You know, the brothers think he makes the dreams up, the father ponders it. He's willing to consider it, but Joseph knows it. Yeah. And so, How about discretion? And so, no, no, I'm not even on that one. Okay. Right? He knows it. God has given him this vision of what's going to happen. And it's true. And it's true. And I have a feeling that God gave it to him to get him through okay. these times. Okay. You know, just, just like us today, we have the same. Hope, hope, assurance. Yeah. assurance, and so, uh, and I have a feeling God gave that to Joseph to help him. You're in the pit right now, but yeah, we're there, but, but remember, there, there's there's going to come a time when things are going to work out. Just keep going and trust God. Arthur says that uh, the two dreams that God gave Joseph about his brothers bowing down to him might have been uh, quite possibly, more than probably, a boost, a reminder, a because when things are really bad in the pit, things are really bad in prison, things are really bad in slavery, remember the dream. It's going to get better. Good point. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but I still think discretion might have been the better part there. <laughs> Keep that one to yourself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. How many 17-year-olds can't wait to stick it to their older brother? I mean, yeah, that. Seven-year-olds, that doesn't matter, yeah. No, so that would be a hard thing for Joseph to uh, do, yeah, but yeah. If he could have, that would been great. Charles? I can't imagine you doing stupid things when you were in your teenage years. Oh, no, not me. I'm talking okay. about everybody else. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. But even those things, Joseph has the dream, and it's going to be very important to him later on. Right. But the bragging about this and, and bringing this out was not smart, but even when we do dumb things, when we do dumb things, when we do dumb things <laughs> and God still uses them and works them into this pattern today. Yeah, God can take, let's see, let's, uh, take lemons and make lemonade, that's, you know, Colloquial way of saying God can take bad things, a stupid thing that we've done, and turn it into something positive in our lives. Yeah. Now, yeah, Joseph was acting like your typical 17-year-old teenager. I think and it would have been hard for him to keep those dreams under his hat. Yeah. But yeah, I, I never thought of it that way. That that was a little reminder, a little boost when things are bad, Joseph. Remember the dreams. Yeah. Okay. All right, next week, uh, we're going to go into Potiphar's house.
And as we go along here, whenever there's a bad thing happen to Joseph, he always will prosper. He will prosper in Potiphar's house. When he's sent to prison, he will prosper. God is with him. Trust God every day of your life and go through the doors that he opens for you. And you'll end up all right. Final questions and comments. Next week, we're going to Potiphar's house. Okay, we'll see you all next week. Thanks so much.